Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Amos, chapter 5. The book of Amos, chapter 5, we'll start in verse 14. Um, I'm reading from the, new, the NIV version. We'll read verses 14 and 15, and then again a bit later we'll read some more verses, um, 21 through 24. Uh, you may see the words on screen or uh, perhaps open your pew Bibles because I'm not sure we have all of those words on screen right now. Amos 5, starting in verse 14. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. And then continuing in verse 21, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench for me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you have choice fellowship offerings, bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't do this often, but I want to get a little participation here. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever heard a sermon on the book of Amos that you can remember. You might have. Okay, we got one. Raise your hand if you've heard a sermon on the book of Amos. Two, three, four. Not a lot of hands. In fact, I, I'm sure I've never preached on the book of Amos, uh, but I've only been here a couple years. Maybe you heard one 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It's a small book, and it's not a book that we hear from very often. It's one of the minor prophets, the little ones kind of in the middle of the Old Testament that you can never quite keep track of where they are. I'm sure if you were looking for it right now in your Bible, you had just a little bit of trouble finding it. But uh, th th these, these books of the prophets are full of gems like the one we just read, and they're also full of hard words, harsh words from God to his people. And the prophets are like that. You know, we, we may only want to hear what they say if it's pointed at someone else, not at us. But sadly, as we'll find in these prophetic texts through the next few weeks leading up to Christmas, the word of the Lord is this double-edged sword. It, it cuts both ways. It's like a, a spear that has points on both ends. You could get hurt by that end or this end, the end that's close to you as well. It, it reminds me of a saying that uh, maybe you've heard. Uh, it goes like this. When you point one finger, there are three fingers pointing back at you. Now, I'm not sure what to do about the thumb there. It kind of points sideways, but try it with your hand. If you point one finger, there are three fingers at least pointing back at you because pointing a finger is a powerful gesture. In fact, in some cultures, not ours so much, but in some cultures, it's considered downright rude. Uh, it was in Laos where my wife and I lived for many years. You, you never, ever point with your finger at a human being. Uh, maybe, maybe at an animal, a dog, a thing, but even better, uh, never point at all. Instead, you use your whole hand openly like this to gesture at something or someone. Now, this, this saying about the three fingers pointing back at you uh, supposedly comes from the Navajo culture. That there, in their culture, there are very few things that you should point at, like a, maybe a rainbow. And even then, it's better to point with your thumb at a rainbow. Now, if you point at someone in Navajo culture and accuse them of wrongdoing, you have uh, done a, a grave, grave error. You will get in trouble. And when you end up in court before the judge, the Navajo judge will reprimand you for pointing at someone. And they'll remind you that you've got those three fingers 
pointing right back at you. And prophets like Amos are are here to point out what's wrong with the world. They point out injustice. They point out idolatry. They point out sin. But but they rarely point at individual people. Sometimes they point a gesture with an open hand at a whole nation, the whole people of Israel, the whole nation of Egypt or Edom or wherever. And it's up for those uh, to listen, to hear the word of the Lord from the prophet and to be changed by that word and to somehow live differently. Now Amos begins his ministry at this high point in the nation of Israel. Uh, the, the nation of Israel has been doing well for quite some time. And I'll go back to the beginning of the book and read you a few words so you can see where we come from. It starts this way. It says, The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, this is a vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake. When Uzziah was king over Judah and Jeroboam was uh, son of Jehoash was king over Israel. Now that little bit might not make so much sense to you, but it's giving us the story of Amos' life and where he's at. Amos has an uphill battle as a prophet. He's a young man. Let's strike one against him. He's from a small town outside of Bethlehem, just south of Jerusalem. And that means he is a southerner going to the northern kingdom to prophesy against them. That's strike two against him. And then third, he's a shepherd. Now, uh, strike three, he's not a wealthy person. He's not super educated. He's not a priest, although he does know what is going on in the nation and around in the world. At best, some scholars think that Amos is maybe a small-time landowner. He's got a few sheep and a few sycamore trees, but he's not super rich. And as we've seen before, God often calls those people who are small, who are weak, who are unimportant in the ways of the world to speak his word. And so Amos takes this word of God to the north, to the land of Israel. And God speaks judgment, not first on Israel, but first on all of Israel's neighbors, on Syria and Sidon, on Edom and Ammon, even on Judah. And then God says this about Israel in chapter 2, verse 6. He says, For three sins of Israel, even four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground, and they deny justice to the oppressed. See, the the sins of Israel are many, and they all start with injustice. But God speaks against their wealth, too. In in chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will tear down the winter house, and along with the summer house, the houses that are adorned with ivory will be destroyed, and the mansions will be demolished. Now, things have been going well in Israel. People can afford to have two houses, uh, or maybe two rooms, one for summer and one for winter. Uh, They're living well in these mansions, and they're fancily decorated with ivory that comes from who knows how far away. And then God declares in chapter 4 that even their worship is sinful. Chapter 4, verse 5 says this, You go to Bethel and sin. You go to Gilgal and you sin yet more. You bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn bread, as, leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the Lord. And then, This continues in chapter 5 where we just read, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me these burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. 
See, their worship has been totally perfect, technically perfect, but totally sinful. They've done everything by the book. They've fattened their calves for their offerings. They've brought grain offerings at the right time. They've worshiped God with tithes every three years and their leavened bread burnt as a thanksgiving offering. They've had fancy cakes on the altar sacrificed to God. They're doing everything right, but they're doing everything wrong. They're not doing it in Jerusalem, and they're not doing it to the God of heaven and earth. Now, we think, of course, that none of this really makes sense or applies much to us, right? Well, wrong, because it, it does. And we all stand in judgment under this word of God through the prophet Amos. I, I, I know I do. You may also feel a bit like the prophet Amos sometimes. I, I know I do too. You, you've got something that needs to be said. You're, you're this uh, a person who's kind of inside yet outside of a community, you're in this place or culture and, and you, you step outside and you see what's wrong and then God gives you this word of truth and, and judgment and hope. It's something that just needs to be said. And God sometimes gives us this insider-outsider vision. So where are those times and places in your life where God has given you that kind of insight? When have you uh, seen things like an outsider does and yet remained an insider? What has God told you about these people or place? And what do they need to hear? And in that moment, do you speak up? Do you speak that prophetic word, even though prophets are rarely accepted in their hometown, as Jesus said? But you need to have that insider perspective combined with the outsider view for that prophecy to come. Or maybe you've been on the other end of prophecy. Maybe you've been the one hearing the word. Maybe your life isn't built entirely on injustice. You haven't stepped on anyone to get where you are, right? But there are always ways that our daily lives are built on some injustice done long ago before we were born. And that doesn't make us responsible for it. But still, we suffer the consequences of it to a thousand generations. And, and God's judgment works not just on an individual basis, but on whole people groups and nations. And that's why, here in Amos, God's justice comes. His righteousness comes with big images, not small ones. Because they're for a whole people, not just for individuals. Look at verse 24. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. See, God's justice rolls down, it pours down, it comes down like a, like a flash flood through a desert arroyo. It, it's this overwhelming flow of water. It, it comes and covers the land and consumes everything in its past and it pushes the debris out of the way before it. God's justice waters entire fields and plains, not just one tree. And God's righteousness is the same way. It's this flip side of justice, a word pair that almost always is together in the Bible, justice and righteousness. They're two sides of the same coin. And righteousness flows like a never-failing stream. Now, this is a word not for a, a stream that dries up seasonally. It's, it's not a wadi, one of those arroyos that we were talking about before. This is a stream that never fails. This is a stream that flows year-round. It's a, a stream that there weren't many of these in ancient Israel, but there were a few, and there aren't many now. There, there's pretty much only one, the Jordan River in Israel, which comes down from the north and flows into the Dead Sea, and it flows year-round, carrying this water that you can depend on to water your crops. And that's God's justice. That's God's righteousness. It's overwhelming and all-consuming, and it is dependable and trustworthy. And Amos is saying here that God's justice is coming, so y'all better change. 
uh, verses 14 and 15 of chapter 5, God's word to the people of Israel is this, and I'll I'll read it in what I call the, the Southern Standard Version. Seek good, not evil, that y'all may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will, will, will be with y'all, just as y'all say he is. I hate evil and love good and maintain justice in the courts. And perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Now, you see, with all those, without those southern y'alls in there, you might miss what God is saying. He's not talking to individuals here. He's talking to the whole people of Israel, the whole people of God. It's their whole culture and their nation and their way of life. And if God's justice is that way, then injustice must be that way too. It, it fills their whole way of life, their whole nation, their whole systems and things of doing. And that's why repentance That's why change, that's why transformed hearts need also to come, not just for individuals, but for the whole group. Seek good, don't do evil, all together. Hate evil and love good together. And, And here's what it looks like, says Amos. It's justice in the courts. And it doesn't sound so much like individual repentance, though it does include that. It's about changing the way things are done so that the rich aren't always on top and the widows and orphans and the poor aren't always on the bottom. It's about setting up the the sacrifices and the worship systems in ways that welcome everybody and don't exclude anybody. It's about keeping God's justice first, not our own individual sense of being wronged. In John 7 in the Bible, Jesus was at festival. He was in Jerusalem at the festival of the tabernacles. And that's the festival when when the Israelites remember how God provided for them in the desert. Remember how God gave them water from rocks and how God sent manna from heaven and quail in the morning and and they lived in tents. So during the festival of tabernacles or booths that people set up a tent outside their house and they might sleep in it for a week. And they they remember that they're sojourners in the desert that God provided for them with enough bread, with enough meat to to live and grow and, and grow in numbers and that luxury of God's provision is seen even in the, the provision of meat because at that time, people did not eat meat every day. Meat was something you'd eat maybe once or twice a year when you gave a sacrifice at the temple. And here, God provides them with quail every single morning. Not many people then or, or even now have that luxury of eating meat every single day. And then on that last and greatest day of the festival, it says in John 7, verse 37, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So let's connect those dots. We've got Jesus, who is the living water. And whoever believes in him will have living water. And then God's justice is this ever-flowing stream of water, which sounds a lot like living water to me. And whoever is hungry and thirsty for God's justice is blessed, as Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, for they will be filled. And Jesus is the one who makes God's justice flow out into us. It's that living water that we have in Jesus through the work of the Spirit in us. And that living water brings justice. It brings the word of the Lord to us. And, that, and every word of prophecy that we hear has to be tested against Scripture. If God gives you that insider-outsider view on a people or place or time and a word that must be said, always hold it up to God's word. Does it fit with God's big story? Does, is it consistent with who God has revealed himself to be? If it is, then speak that word 
of God to the people and the place where you're called and be that prophet that God has made you wherever he has placed you. Because we're all called to be prophets and priests and kings, just like Jesus, our Lord. So here's my short summary of the book of Amos, the word of the Lord through Amos. He's saying that justice and worship need to be connected and that if you live God's justice, you will move to worship. And if you worship God, you will end up living justly. That's how it works. It, it, you can't just come to church and, 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 and call it good for the rest of the week. No, they've got to connect what you do throughout the week with worship and vice versa. How worship spurs you on to speak and do God's word in the world. And any time that connection is broken, God's people end up in sin. And they end up in idolatry. And they end up in injustice. But God calls us back through the words of the prophets. Uh, through Amos and others, we'll hear the words, Repent, seek good and not evil each of you and all of you together. Uh, This is the same word that Jesus speaks in John. He says, come to me. Come to me. Repent and believe the good news. Drink of me and you will have living water. You will live in justice and righteousness. You will live in the way God made you to live together with all of God's people because this is the word of the Lord to Amos. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God of justice, your, your justice flows over and around and through us, and we, we, we pray that by your Spirit you fill us with that justice, the, the ever-flowing stream that flows from worship into the world and back, that everything we do in here may be connected with what we do out there and, and vice versa, that the way you call us to be your people in the world is, is through your word, and, and that word spurs us on to act and live and speak your word in the world. And, the, and, and then the world sends us back to worship you, to bring our thank offerings and our sacrifices, which you do receive, to give thanks and praise for how you've protected us and provided for us and given us what we need to live through this year. We give you thanks and praise. And this week, as our hearts turn to thanksgiving, we praise you for how you have provided for us. And we trust that your justice is enough to provide not just for us, but for the poor and for the needy. And through us, to love and serve and see your kingdom come in the world by the work of the Spirit. So we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. That, uh, that the thirsty and the hungry may drink and be fed by your living water. And that your justice will flow on like an ever-flowing stream. We pray this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.